Okay, so today I am talking about a topic that is a little sticky, and it's because I got my first hate mail. Like, I got my first email that was somebody saying that my program sucks and that it is actually causing more harm than good and that they're a therapist and they feel like my approach is just wrong and actually putting children in harm's way. So I want to dive into this email and dive into my response because I hope that it will help you all understand uh, the program better, understand our approach better, and see it from uh, maybe a different perspective. If you had these thoughts that this person had, and I'm not saying that that you do, but I think it's really important to hear criticism about your stuff and respond to it in a way that if somebody were thinking that, that you can at least say something about it. So I want to dive into it. I'll read you the mail and I'll tell you, you know, my response to it. I'm going to roll that intro and we can dive right in. I'm Rebecca Britt and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments Podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. Okay guys, so got my first hate mail and I'm totally calling it hate mail because it wasn't nice, okay? So the person wrote in, as a, as a therapist that does specialize in treating complex trauma and is certified in multiple equine-assisted psychotherapy models, I find this reductivist, cookie-cutter approach to both working with complex trauma and horses disturbing and another way to inadvertently harm kids in the CPS or Child Protective Services system by surrounding them with adults who may be well-intentioned but are not properly trained or equipped to work with them in the capacity their complex trauma demands, which is endemic in the Child Protective Services. First things is I'm calling this hate mail because as a therapist, I would want somebody in how I you know, as a clinician would reach out to someone is I would say like, hey, I have some questions about your program. I'd like to learn more or where you stand on this. Um, especially if I was like, ooh, this does not feel good to me. And I felt like so strongly that I was gonna send an email. I would probably get some more questions, start a conversation um, because people usually aren't out trying to do harm, right? Um, but this was surprising to me that this was just like shot right off. It actually says sent from iPhone. So it means like it was shot right off in a very like quick way. A lot of assumptions were made. I did check on this person. They did not go through our free webinar, which breaks down our program. So I'm wondering how much they really know about the model. 
um, before they've made a whole bunch of assumptions about the model. But what I want to tell you is if I had gotten this email three, four years ago, it would have broke me. Like it would have crumbled me into a little ether and I probably wouldn't have done as much. I maybe would have closed up shop and not served the kids that we had. Honestly, when I first realized that I had a model that people might be interested in, I went to conferences to talk about the model, but I had my bachelor's in social work. I had a lot of experience working with children with uh, trauma needs and with early developmental trauma. Um, and I had this program model that was evidence-based. As you may or may not know, I started serving kids on a one-on-one -on -one basis for free. Um, and what I was doing with the kids actually wasn't all that clinical. Like I was literally hanging out with them with a horse. And I felt like we could equip a whole bunch of community mentors to do this, that you didn't really need to be a social worker as long as you could learn a, a few, you know, trauma-informed approaches and you could learn how to be safe with horses. Really the beauty in what research has shown to be effective in children uh, with complex trauma needs is a reliable, healthy, stable adult showing up over and over again that can follow some a trauma-informed approach, but they really just need to show up and be there for the kid. Like that's the magic of it. We don't need to like go into deep therapy into every session. Like a kid needs to have an adult that's gonna be there, that's gonna show up for them, gonna show them that they matter, show them their worth, help them learn some life skills, but really just show them that they're valuable however they show up. Okay, so I was doing it for a while and realized like what I was doing was not clinical. It was not therapy. It was something that everyone could do. And I thought how cool to offer a program to community mentors so they feel like they can play an active role. But I was really scared when I was at these conferences giving this advice uh, and giving this program model up telling people, hey, you can do this program model with community mentors. You don't need to hire clinical staff, which is very prohibitive, right? Like cost prohibitive, like the second that you realize you need to hire a therapist, your ability to be able to launch that program becomes much harder, right? Because that's expensive. But if you can get the community together as volunteers, um, you can serve way more kids and um, you don't need to have a huge budget to do it. It's the community coming together and executing the program together. A lot of people thought that was really interesting and it is a part of the model that people love, of course. Um, but I was so nervous when I was giving these talks that people would say, well, how do you expect just regular people that don't have the training to intervene with these kids? Because these kids have all these needs and if they're not intervened with in the right way, I was like really just sweating, waiting on the question and answer session of all of my presentations I would do because I was ready for a therapist to basically say, you know what, Rebecca, you're not credentialed enough. I totally had imposter syndrome. I was just waiting for somebody to call me out and tell me that this program wasn't good enough and I wasn't credentialed enough and to boo me off stage. Okay. And it didn't happen. I didn't get booed off stage. In fact, people said, this is really interesting. Okay, get it. Some therapists were like, you know, how do you deal with this therapeutic, um, like a time when you would need therapy? Or how do you um, implement these therapeutic interventions? And I was like, no, 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 no. 
our program isn't doing any therapy. Like, are these kids worth having an adult that can hang out with them? Yes. Are there adults in our society that are good enough to hang out with kids? Yes. There are, I am trained, like clinically trained, and I am not as good as a lot of my mentors. In fact, it's why I went into administering the program because I am not great at direct service. Like I will admit that it's not my superpower, but I would have people come to me like college age girls, 75 year old men, like people all over the spectrum that would do genius, brilliant work with these kids. They were, they had the ability to be present. They had the ability to be non-punitive. They were so happy to see these kids. They were like, wow, you have great ideas. And they built up their confidence. They allowed themselves to be vulnerable to these kids and allow the kids to teach them things. They were just amazing at what they did. And so I just gave them the platform and the opportunity and a little bit of trauma-informed framework for the people to show up for these kids. And honestly, I'm telling you, a lot of them did it better than I even did it. So what are the options, right? I realized that the beauty in my program is that. The beauty is that you are offering people the opportunity to be with a kid, to play an active role in a life of a child that is in foster care or has experienced foster care. Okay, because what are the options? The The options are you can either foster a kid or that's it. You know, like, or you can bake a meal for somebody that fosters a kid. No, like there needs to be a way for people, an on-ramp for people to spend some time with these kids. Do they have to be committed? Yes. Do they have to give an hour a week? Yes. Do they have to understand their trauma? Yes. Do they have to use our approach? Yes. Like there's training and structure and you can do, you know, ensure some of these things. We have rules so that they don't inadvertently cause trauma. You can't text the kids outside of sessions and there's food rules around, around uh, specific trauma needs. Like we have all of these things in place. Like we've thought it through. It's not like we didn't think about the things that for these kids may cause more trauma. So we try our hardest to ensure that those things don't happen. But also you cannot always know what's going to trigger a kid. Like I have triggered plenty of kids by doing things that I didn't even know. Um, I tell the story often of the time that I had a bonfire the night before having a session with a kid and a kid came and was completely triggered that whole day, that whole session. I didn't realize why they were so emotionally dysregulated. And I found out later when the foster parent came to pick the kid up and kind of realized what had gone on, they told me that the child had been through a house fire and that it was very traumatic for them. And they had, you know, lost siblings in this fire um, in the bonfire, the smell of it triggered this child. So does that mean that you never have bonfires? Does that mean that you avoid all triggers at all costs? No, like you're not going to. You try, maybe, you know, you're aware of it if you can be. But the better thing, the more important thing to do is to understand and be aware of when someone is triggered and help them through that. Acknowledge it. Oh my gosh, I see that this is tough for you today you know, and accept them for where they're at. Understand like this kid looks like they're um, triggered. It looks like they're emotionally dysregulated. So we are going to meet that dysregulation with regulation and we're going to offer space 
and we're not going to shut that down and be punitive and put these kids in a pressure cooker. We're going to offer this space where they can deal with and live through those emotions and just be a safe space for them, them to have. And adults can offer that. There are healthy adults in this world that can offer a safe space, someone to work through if they're dysregulated. But a lot of the times the kids come to our program and they're not dysregulated, okay? And they need somebody to show them that they matter and that, they're, that they have good ideas and that they can do some things and what they do is really special and what they do is really cool and help them start building like what, what's a three-part plan that we can work on and wow, you did this last week and now look what you're doing. Show them this winning streak, help them build this confidence and then when things come up, it's like, yeah, of course, things come up. Um, that's what happens with us. That is why we're here. We love you anyway. We're here for you anyway. I, I don't think it takes a social worker, a therapist a credential to show up in a trauma-informed way and be a good human that can play an active role in the life of a kid. In fact, you know, Harvard research talks about how the one thing that can build resiliency for children that have um, endured adverse childhood events is one single meaningful, healthy adult relationship over time. And often who's referenced is a coach, you know, a pastor, a teacher. Do you think that coach, that, that track coach that was so important to somebody, do you think that they were all like, oh no, I'm not a therapist, so I can't talk to you. You're special. Like that sucks too. I, like if I'm a kid, I don't, and I have particular needs. Like I don't want like, I you can only be touched by a therapist. No, like there's a special program for you and we're here for you. And dude, I'm just a person. You're just a person. And we're showing up together in a structured framework to work together and to just prove that people can be good people and that kids can gain value, confidence, life skills, healthy relationships, emotional awareness. You know, our program's very structured in the way in which we develop life skills. It's not willy-nilly. One of the criticisms of this email is that we have a reductivist and a cookie cutter approach, which I agree. Like you cannot have like a blanket. This just works for all trauma needs, but you have to start somewhere, right? Like that's why there's trauma-informed training. It doesn't help you deal with you know, a specific kid, which every kid's going to have different issues, but it helps you deal with kids that possibly have trauma needs, right? In a specific way. And, and, uh, usually that's being, you know, playful and accepting and curious and empathetic. Okay. You can apply that to any kid. You can apply that to any, uh, relationship. You can be playful, curious, empathetic, and attuned. Nothing's going to be wrong with showing up with that attitude or with that approach. But we aren't just cookie cutter. We don't try to oversimplify things. We have individualized plans of care for each individual kid. So we do an intake assessment. We develop what their plan of care should be for their specific needs. And then we choose specific life skill goals based on those needs. We choose mentors that will work well with specific energy or characteristics of a kid. So we do speak to the individual child. In fact, people aren't allowed to do, if they're a stable moments model, aren't allowed to do group sessions because it's one-on-one -on -one nature of our sessions that really is the magic. So um, every kid gets a mentor that gets to know them, gets to show up 
for them gets to come, you know, one hour a week and gets to know the kid. And the reason why we're a 10 month program is because you can't get to know these kids in six weeks or eight weeks. At three months, they might be willing to start showing you something. These kids are used to being abandoned. They're used to high turnover. They're used to therapists that come in and out of their life. They're usually therapied out. They will not go to normal therapy. So giving them a program where they can have active participation and show up to the barn is really, really helpful. You know, it's uh, actually more effective because they're showing up wanting to be there, wanting to engage in their own healing. That's what our program offers. And I think that I want to loop back around to the fact that the beauty of this program is that everyone can play an active role. It is too simplified. What's too reductivist, honestly, is saying therapists can do the work. Only people that have gone through this PhD program that um, shoot off nasty emails can do this work with these kids. That's reductivist, okay? And I know I'm being a little snarky right now, but I'm just saying, like, I would rather say, no, we all have to do the work. We all need to show up. We are all responsible for unwanted, abandoned, neglected children in our community. And the only way you put it back on the individuals to say who's showing up for these kids is to offer them an on-ramp in a tangible, you know, easy way that they can plug in. And that's what Stable Moments is. Stable Moments is an easy way for people to plug in and play an active role in care and show up for kids in their communities. And they are good enough, okay? The kids are good enough. They don't need to be any particular thing to be enrolled in our program except for have experience with early developmental trauma or have been part of the foster care system. But we don't expect anything of them. They're good enough. Like that's what we're working with is you. And it's the same with the, with the people. I mean, yes, do our mentors go through very strict training and do they go through a background check? Yeah. But after those things are done, they're enough. Somebody that wants to give an hour a week to a kid that's willing to go through training and do a background check and understand the model and they would like to show up, I'm going to give them that opportunity. And they're enough. Like they don't need to be a clinician. And I would never want them to feel like they have imposter syndrome because, you know, they're just a person trying to do good, but they don't have any certifications and they don't have credentials behind their name. And so they certainly couldn't do anything. No, you probably will do it better. Because you're not coming here with a whole file of notes and interventions and all these things that we think that we can impose on these kids to make them better and fix and did it. Nope. You're just coming and you're like, I would like to try. I'd like to try to find value in another human being. Sure, we'll give you that opportunity. And I I love it because what I find is the people with no horse training and the people with no mental health training are the best mentors because the people with horse training uh, can't help themselves and they try to teach too much where we want people to stay curious, which if you have horse training, it doesn't mean you can't be part of the program. Like, it's fine. I'm just saying, we 
want to jump in and be like, that's not the right way to do it, right? Because we know, because we've worked with horses. But I actually love the mentors that don't know because something happens and the kid's like, how do we do this? And the mentor goes, I don't know. Let's get curious. Who could we ask? Huh, that's interesting. How might we do this? And they are really good at being curious because guess what? They really don't know. Um, and you need to get resourceful and start you know, brainstorming and working on critical thinking skills with the kid, which is, is fun and happens a lot more readily when you don't know the answer anyway. So you're going to have to get creative and resourceful. The people that don't have mental health training, yeah, they're not sitting here like, oh, that was tough. Let's talk more about that. I'm not saying that, you know, some situations don't come up. I'm not saying that um, in a, in a mentor session, a kid might not say like something that's like, oh, my mom used to do that to me, or, uh, I don't like doing this because I used to be locked in closets. Okay. I'm not saying that tough stuff that could really need a credentialed, um, therapist to come in and deal with. It's not that it doesn't come up, but listen, that stuff and that stuff's going to come up anyway. And it's okay that there isn't a therapist there to handle it. What's important is that we don't try to be therapists and we don't in the stable moments model we just show you how to be validating how do you say like wow that's heavy thank you for sharing that with me you can have a response that's just like wow that's tough that's big thanks for sharing that with me we don't need to go in in there and then you move on with the session or you ask the kid how would you like to move on that was heavy you know you don't need to go oh your mom used to, oh wow you used to be locked in closets how did that make you feel we're not therapists. We're not there to do that. But we can have a validating response and move on. We can say that that's okay. You know, it's not okay that that happened to you. You can say that to a kid. Mm, it is not okay that that happened to you. I'm so sorry. Thanks for sharing that with me. And you can pause. You can let the kid respond. You can leave space for the heaviness of a situation of, of something, the heaviness of a circumstance a heaviness of a truth, the kid's truth. You can leave space for it. We always want to do something with that. Ugh, what do we do with that? How do we help the kid through that? How do we help them heal? Maybe we just like validate like that's heavy stuff. Thanks for sharing it and pause. And yeah, you can tell foster mom that something came up during session and maybe they want to talk about it with therapeutic other therapeutic providers that they have because likely if they're in foster care they're already seeing a therapist if they really need to process it but these kids are hanging out with this stuff anyway they've had years of trauma okay so they they have the stuff and so if they tell you that means that they felt safe enough to tell you and you can validate it and respond to it without digging deep into it and feeling like you need to process it in fact think of your own heavy stuff like right now, think of something that's just heavy that you have, okay? Something that you dealt with in your childhood, something that you're dealing with right now. And just say it out loud. Like if you say, um, it's really tough dealing with a disabled child, okay? If you say that, I'm going through divorce. Imagine saying that out loud. Like, what do you want the response to be? Do you want somebody to go like, oh, what brought you to divorce? And why did you get there? And tell me more about that. Or do you want somebody to say, oof, divorce is tough. Or I can't imagine having a disabled child. Thanks for sharing that with me. Like, I can't, I can't imagine. That's, that's tough. 
and then pause. You don't need anything more. You just need to validate. And to me, if I were to say like, this is a thing that's heavy on me right now. And somebody were just to go like, whew, that does seem like that's heavy. Thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah. And then you just pause and allow the conversation to either continue or to stop or to move on or whatever. Like we don't need to fix. We don't need to jump in. We don't need to apply our own lens and what we think somebody should do. We don't need to do that. And this doesn't go for just the kids in our program. This goes for relationships with everyone. Like we're not therapists. So let's not be therapists. Let's just be a human that heard something that meant somebody something to someone. Even if it's deep, even if it's heavy, say it, just label it. That's deep. That's heavy. Whew. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with me. Wow. That's a lot. You know, that shouldn't have happened to you. I'm so sorry you're going through that. With kids saying that shouldn't have happened to you, it's validating, you know? Anyway, I feel like we're enough. We are enough. We can say that. We can do those things. Humans can do those things. Like I have more faith in humanity. And yes, Am I completely naive to the fact that there are predators out there and there are people that might not do the right thing? And there are, but that's what we have to work with. We have people that might not do the right thing, but that fear is not going to stop me from all the people that have good hearts and amazing intentions and they are willing to go through a training and they're willing to show up. I'm going to plug them in to do good. And for the people that may make mistakes, yes, okay, there's there's protections to take against predators and stuff like that. But the people that might just make mistakes, they might get frustrated with a kid, they might not have a validating response, they might not get curious, they might even be punitive. We can jump in and say like, oh, you know what? I was punitive or I didn't respond to that very well. And what's super important with these kids is repair. It's not getting it right. It is acknowledging that humans are flawed and we might not get it right. And this is what it looks like to repair a relationship. This is what it looks like to take ownership. This is what a healthy relationship looks like. Not somebody that's always patient, always curious, always playful, always. No, humans are humans. So to say like, man, I was not playful right there. And I feel like I should have been playful right there. And I'm sorry about that. Or I wasn't very curious. And I kind of just shut you off and said, this is how we should do it. This is how we should lead the horse. And mm, I would have liked to be more curious there. So I'm going to try being more curious next time. Is that good? Is that cool? And the kid's like, sure. I mean, I don't really care. You know, whatever. Like the kid probably is not analyzing your behavior as much as we do. But I, I think we're good enough. You know, like I have a fundamental belief and in, in this program stands on the fundamental belief that people are good enough. The kids are good enough and humans that feel like giving back, giving an hour a week, are willing to go through training and a background check um, and want to be trauma-informed and they want to give up themselves like they're good enough because it, what's not good enough for me is the option of it's therapists or nothing. Like that lets way too many people off the hook, way too many people off the hook for this crisis of children in our society that need homes. They need adults. They need healthy relationships. They need role models. And we've got to be able to say, you know what? Some is better than none. 
and we're going to try to be good enough. And when we're not good enough and when we're not going to miss, and when we're going to miss the mark, we're going to come back and we're going to acknowledge it and we're going to heal together and we're going to try together. You don't learn until you're in the situation. We just keep trying. Kids need to see people that keep showing up. They need to see people that keep trying. They need to see people that get it wrong and acknowledge it because they may have been abused in their life and the parent never acknowledged that this was their, not the child's fault. Maybe the child was abused and the parent actually said to them, this is your fault. Why are you so stupid? You know, you make me hit you. You make me do this to you. So the child has internalized all that. That child needs to see somebody that goes, I didn't have the right response last week and this week I want to try harder. Is it cool if I keep showing up and hanging out with you and try harder this week? A kid needs to see that. That's what we need to see. We don't need the perfect intervention. We don't need everything to be, you know, boiled down in this like systematic way. Does structure matter? Yes. Does a curriculum matter? Yes. Does an approach matter? Yes. But once you understand that like you're going to do your best and when you feel like you haven't done your best, you're going to acknowledge it and you're going to try again. Yeah, maybe it is simplified. Maybe that's super simple. But you know what? Most people don't do that. Most people come in and they feel like they need to do everything perfect. And when they don't do things perfect, they either quit or they get defensive or they act like you know, somebody else's fault. And there's all this like uh, emotion. And I'm just saying like, it's okay. It's okay to be human. It's okay to try. In fact, we're going to try and try and try again, and we're never going to get it perfect. But I think the beauty is in the trying. The beauty is in the figuring it out with, okay? And what that does is show kids that even if they mess up in the future, even if they get it wrong, we're allowed to try again. It's not all or nothing. It's not all is lost. A lot of these kids feel like all is lost. Like if they try to do something and they're not getting it right, oh, I suck at this. Oh, never mind. I don't even want to try. So us showing up as people that are flawed, it might be the biggest gift that we can give a kid is showing up and making mistakes and then continuing to show up and then asking the kid, can I continue to show up with you? And can I continue to try with you? Can we try to get this healthy relationship thing right? That's it. It feels good to me. It feels good to me. And I can get an email. I'm thanking God right now that I got this email now because now he's using it for content for a podcast. And I did not get defensive. You might have heard like a little bit of defensiveness, you know, because like I would like people to like watch the webinar if they're going to attack it, you know. But anyway, it's being used for good. I did not cry in my closet and I didn't shut down stable moments. But here's the deal. We're going to go big picture, full circle right here. If this person had stood up in the first time I spoke about stable moments and said big words like reductivist and cookie cutter approach and then told me that I am inadvertently harming kids in the CPS system and that I am walking in territory I shouldn't walk in and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm causing more harm. I would have shriveled up into a little raisin ball and you know what I wouldn't have done? I wouldn't have started this program. I wouldn't have launched a licensing program. I wouldn't have launched a certification program. I wouldn't be serving 
30 locations across the United States and talking about why these kids are important. I would have, my light would have been dimmed then and shut out and put out. And cause why even try if people are going to say, you know, you suck or if I'm going to like hurt more kids. Thank God I didn't believe that. Right. Thank God. I thought I was good enough. Thank God. I thought the program was good enough. Thank God. I kept trying because now there's a whole bunch of locations and there's a whole bunch of people following the model and a whole bunch of community mentors that are stepping up to hang out with kids and get it right and continue to try with kids. And, and they want to learn more and they want to be accountable to this crisis. They want to say, Hey, I maybe not going to have a kid come into my home, but I want to do something. And thank you for giving me the on-ramp and the opportunity to do something. Let's not shut people down. Okay. Let's believe that we matter because we can only believe that the, these kids matter. They will only believe that they matter if you can show them that you believe you matter. You can't give that to somebody else without having it. And if you believe you matter, then you believe that you can make a difference. You, should you do it in the right way? Should you not apply your own lens, but go out there and see what's trauma-informed, what's evidence-based? How should I interact with these kids? Sure. Do your best. That's all we ask. Do your best. Try. When you fail, acknowledge it, even to the kid, and ask if you can try again. Every failure is an invitation for repair and trying again. Okay? So, boy, I am glad I did not take this. I did not get this email three, four, five years ago. We may not be talking today. I just hope that everyone sees why we need to have the standard. The credential doesn't need to be there. Like we all have something to offer. We all have something to give and keep pushing through with that. It doesn't mean like I'm good enough so I don't need to learn anything. No, but have conversations. So if somebody like this person that emailed says, hey, this isn't going to work. Say like, well, I really feel in my heart I'm called to do this. So let's talk about that. What barriers do you see here? And even if you feel imposter syndrome, like I can't do it. Maybe my way isn't the popular way. You know, keep walking forward. Just keep trying. And I hope maybe I've inspired some of you to, to be a mentor, or to give one hour a week. Um, you can go to stablemoments.com slash locations and see all the locations that we do have and become a mentor. Um, if you don't have a Stable Moments location near you, you should have a CASA near you. Um, and so that's C-A-S-A, -S and that is working in the court system with these kids. I feel like we can all do something. We are all good enough, okay? It's not a cookie-cutter approach. It is actually pouring into the individual child. It's actually showing up understanding a kid saying, you know, I don't know what you need, you know, Ben, because I've never met with you, but I'm going to meet with Ben and I'm going to see who he is and what he likes and what might, what might be best for him. And I'm going to advocate for him and, and help him and hang out with him. And I'm going to learn something and we're going to build a healthy relationship together. So I agree that we need to get on the individual level. And the only way to stop generational trauma, that means kids that have trauma that go into foster care that make choices where their kids then go into care and we can perpetuate this cycle. If we can stop and get that kid at four, five, six, 
you know, 10 years old and invest in that individual kid to the point where they believe they matter, they make better choices, they have healthier transitions into adulthood, and then their kids don't enter care? Well, now we're starting to see a whole generation of kids that um, we're starting to see the foster care crisis go away, right? That's how we address the foster care crisis. So as much as it might feel reductivist, um, the foster care crisis, I believe, will be solved by individual hours of time. Your neighbor, you, going out and spending one-on-one time with somebody um, to the extent that they end up feeling like they're worth something and that their community cares about them and um, that their kids don't need to go and care and that they don't need to perpetuate the same cycle um, that they were born into. All right, guys, that's my hate mail. I love you all. I hope that you um, got something out of this and I will be back to talk to you in a month.